Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again to worship your holy name, the God of grace, to thank you for saving us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for this time that we go into your word one more time to hear about him, even from the Old Testament scriptures. For he said, it is they that testify of him. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us understanding, clarity, that we may see him also in the types and the shadows. And, Lord, we thank you for this time. May you be glorified. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 to 23, that means the whole chapter. But we are not going to be teaching from the whole chapter. It seems like you need a series to build the necessary background. If we already had the background, I could easily go through the whole chapter, but the preaching is going to be developing a lot of the background that would take us to First Samuel 22, then we really understand what's going on. But this is what the word of God says from verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you, till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet God said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, 
Now, Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Dog the Edomite who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech the son of Aitab, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Aitab, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king, Vestkov, and Saul said, Hear now, son of Aitab, and he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding, and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he had fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Dog, You turn and kill the priests. So Dog the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the seat of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the age of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Aitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the lost priest. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life, seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And that's the word of the Lord. And for our title, I have titled the message, In the Cave with the King. In the Cave with the King. Or the second title, You Shall Be Safe with Me. In the Cave with the King, or You Shall Be Safe with me. And this is a communion table teaching, the Lord's table, and we always purpose to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
because if we do not preach and believe the gospel of Christ, we have no part with him or no part in him. Jesus Christ is not an addition to all the groovy things that we are already doing with our lives. God is very serious about his son and is serious about his gospel. He has killed many people over the years, over the ages, just to preach his son and is going to put many people in hell just to preach again his son to demonstrate his righteousness and his honor. God flooded the world and saved Noah and his family just to preach the work of Christ in salvation. The ark of Noah was a type of Christ, the vessel that keeps all those that are with Noah, those that are in him, safe from God's judgment, which was the flood waters. The flood waters were a type of God's judgment that has been poured over the sinful world. God destroys the firstborn infants in Egypt that he may preach the gospel of deliverance from slavery by the blood sacrifice of a lamb. And this God did not hesitate to kill his own son for the sins of his people, for sins that were not his own. So even now he does not and will not hesitate to send anyone to hell if they don't take Jesus seriously. Jesus does not want competition. God does not want competition with his son. He doesn't want anybody to be elevated to the same level as his son. He loves his son and he shall prove it and is proving it even now to those who have seen him. <laughs> so the gospel call is kiss the son and make peace with him along the way that it may be well with your soul. So this Jesus and his gospel, God has been preaching in all the recorded stories of the Bible as we have been learning. Jesus and the gospel is the story of creation. He is the story of the Bible. Jesus is the substance of all things. Marriage is about the gospel. Everything is about the gospel. And in First Samuel, we have another telling of Jesus Christ and the gospel. But we have to know the gospel as has been revealed to us in the New Testament in order to extract it from the Old Testament. So understanding the types and shadows is very important in that regard. And just in case someone is new to this kind of teaching, as a reminder and exhortation, the things that were recorded for us in the Old Testament were types and shadows of Jesus Christ, which means they were not the end of themselves. The anointing oil, for instance, was only a type of the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit, who was later to be given in the New Testament. There's no power in oil, it's just olive oil. It is the Holy Spirit who was prefigured in that. 
And the fact that we are in the New Testament does not mean that we should stop using the Old Testament. There's a proper use of the Old Testament. It still is the story of Christ. It helps us to understand the story of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament is the story of Jesus dramatized and presented on different stages or platforms in diverse manners. So the feast, the tabernacle system, the priesthood, the qualifications of the priests, the sacrifices, marriage, kings, prophets, all those were shadows of Christ. I always say this, there's not a one-to-one mapping or relationship between an Old Testament type and Jesus. For instance, King David is a type of Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ was doing all the kinds of sins that King David ended up doing. But in his office and function as the king of, of Israel, he was modeling something about who Christ is and the gospel. So we can see some representations of Jesus in the gospel, in the king or in the prophet or the priest. But as I said To see it requires that we also know the Jesus of the New Testament and his work because that is the lens or the light that we use to look for the gospel patterns in the old. But even more, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to give us illumination of these things that we may be able to see them because it is the Holy Spirit who was inspiring all these things. So he knows exactly the story. And the Lord speaking to the Jews in the story of Lazarus and the rich man said there is enough gospel in the Old Testament when it has been properly understood to cause one to be saved. And that is very telling and very important. And I just wanted for us to kind of go to that story in Luke 16, and see what the Lord was saying. Luke 16, and I'm going to skip the beginning of the story and go to 27, verses 27 to 31. We know the story, Lazarus was a poor beggar, and the rich man, and the conversation with Abraham. The rich man is in fiery torments of hell, and he wants to speak to Abraham that he may send someone to go tell his brothers that they may repent and get saved that they may not come to the same place of torment. So the conversation continues to go and the rich man continues to make his arguments to Abraham as to why he has to send someone. (laughs) So he says in verse 27, I beg you therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he is asking, the rich man is asking Abraham to send Lazarus, this Lazarus, to his brothers. Because Lazarus is someone who is well known. He was a beggar. So he was always out in the open. So if he were to come and people see him resurrected, They will repent. That is the supposition. Verse 29. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. What was happening? What is being said? The rich man was a picture of the Pharisees who wanted a sign to believe. The Pharisees had Moses and the prophets, and still they were looking for a sign to believe in Christ. So the rich man wanted Abraham to send Lazarus, one who would rise from the dead, that his brothers would repent and believe. So the rich man wants the sign of resurrection as evidence that they may repent. They were asking for a sign which they would later refuse, the resurrection of Christ. But Abraham said to him, verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have Moses and the prophets, and these testify of the true way of salvation when they have been properly read and believed. But the rich man insisted that repentance was going to happen only by miracles. And so he pressed hard and said, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So what you see is for one to come to Christ, you need more than a miracle. It is not a miracle that converts one to Christ. It is the repentance that God gives someone if they have to come to Christ. God has to cause repentance. If God were to do miracles, which we know he performed through the Lord, by the hands of the Lord and the apostles, still people wanted to kill him. They did not believe. And these are the very people that he's talking to. So what is that saying? Jesus was saying the scriptures are enough for salvation, even the Old Testament, if we teach them correctly. So Abraham, in the context of the story, was a solar scriptura kind of guy. <laughs> and that was the Lord's point. The Lord's point was that the scriptures have enough revelation to lead one to a true knowledge of salvation and for them to actually be saved. And that is why teaching the gospel accurately is very important. Gospel teaching is not so that we have something to do on Sunday. It is not that we don't have something else to do, so we come here and we sit around and just hear some stories. No, these are the scriptures that have the knowledge of true salvation. So we find ourselves in our story with a lot of background to the story of where David was. Samuel was called of the Lord to become prophet and judge of Israel after Eli had died. And Samuel restored proper worship in Israel. He restored law and order. But when it was time for him to step down because he was old, he appointed his two rascal sons as judges. They were some really bad boys. They were outlaws who did not please 
the Lord and the people. And so in 1 Samuel 8 verse 1 to 5, we are told this. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, special interest money, <laughs> and perverted justice. It sounds like Samuel's two sons could run for political office here too. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The Lord was not pleased by this decision for them to have a king because according to him, they had refused him to be their king. They, by saying this, were saying God is not good enough a king for them. We want our own king who goes before us like the rest of the nations. They wanted democracy so that they can choose their own king as the other nations through the ballot box. <laughs> they wanted God to give them some polling and voting stations. And so they said to Saul, no, there will be a king of us. We're going to have a king. Okay, We're not going to negotiate about this. We are going to have a king of us. So they said to Samuel, sorry. And so they said to Samuel, there will be a king of us. But that statement spoke more than they understood. They said that as a statement of rebellion against God's order, and yet ultimately this is what leads to the coming of King David, who held the promises of the coming of the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. So it, it is like, if you still remember, when the Jews were mad and said, let his blood be upon us and our children. It's a similar statement. They meant to say, oh, you take it on us. Bring it on. And yet God was by that statement saying, that is your only hope. His blood has to be upon you and your children or else you are dead. But the Lord promised that their king of choice was going to abuse them and take advantage of them. And Saul that opened the way for the entrance of Saul. Saul was the son of Kish. Let's hear 1 Samuel 9 verse 2. It says, Kish had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So Saul was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe as Apostle Paul. Saul was bound to fail because God was always about preaching Christ. And Saul, you desperately need to have a very strong understanding of God's sovereignty to see how this all is playing out and how God is weaving the drama of Christ in it. 
So Saul is appointed king of Israel and Samuel anointed him in 1 Samuel 10 verse 1 which says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So this is how Saul becomes king of Israel. So Saul is king of Israel and the people have their king and they are in cloud nine. They are very happy. But barely two years into Saul's reign as king, he gets in serious trouble. He and his son Jonathan had attacked the Philistines and Israel was fearful of the Philistines. Israel was always having running battles with the Philistines. And apparently Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and make a sacrifice, a burnt offering. But Samuel did not show up according to the number of days, which were seven days. And so Saul decided to take the matter into his own hands and sacrificed himself. Now, according to the law, the work of sacrifice was for priests alone and not kings. And Saul was not a priest, he was a king. And we know what happened to King Uzziah when King Uzziah became so prosperous in 2 Chronicles 18. He became so prosperous. He was so rich. He had defeated all his enemies. And he thought, well, there's something lacking in my resume. I am going to go into the Lord's temple and I'm going to sacrifice myself. And the Lord smote him with leprosy and he died. So Saul does something similar. And he gets in trouble. Listen to 1 Samuel 13, 8 to 14. We are building our story to 1 Samuel 22. Because we have to understand what's happening and why it is happening in the way that has been recorded in 1 Samuel 22. Uh, here's 1 Samuel 13, 8 to 14. Then he waited seven days, and that's so, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. So the sacrifice was there for Israel to prepare to go to war against the Philistines. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Verse 18, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So essentially Saul has already been fired from the job. But he's kept on it for a while. He kept the title and the benefits, but was fired. He was still collecting checks. 
Now, that is a different kind of firing that God does. You get fired, you're still on the job, you're still getting paid, but you've been fired. And, and, and this is important because these are spiritual matters. A preacher can be fired from the work of Christ and still maintain their huge numbers and still maintain their congregation and still say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And yet the glory of Israel would have long departed. And that is why we can't be choosing churches by how they meet our felt needs because that is very deceiving. It has to be by the preaching of Christ and his gospel. That is the evidence that Christ is still there. But Saul fails again in 1 Samuel 15. Saul is already appointed to failure. Why did Simon delay? Saul was set up to fail. He had to fail. In, in 1 Samuel 15, Saul fails again. He was supposed to destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them completely and not take anything from them. Hear this from 1 Samuel 15 verse 3. The Lord said to Saul before he went to war, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. This is coming from God himself. If this were to be said in our time, everybody would be like, I don't believe in a God who says that. What about the children? God says, you go destroy all of them. Including the infant and the nursing child. The camel and the donkey that did not even do anything. Just grazing grass on, on the open field and God says, you have to die because I said so. But this is what Saul did. First Samuel 15, 7 to 9. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Sher, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the ship the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. And this, of course, did not please the Lord. So the Lord sent Samuel to Saul over the matter and see the sovereignty of it. If God has already said to Samuel, well, you go tell the guy, that the kingdom has already been taken away from you and is going to be given to your neighbor that I love? What hope does Saul have? Saul cannot follow the commandment and God makes sure that Saul does not follow the commandment. Why? Because to follow the commandment only happens when God causes it. If God determines for you to stumble, you are going to stumble. But if God is determined for you to obey, you are going to obey. So even our obedience does not come from us. It is the Lord who has to cause it. He works in us to cause the desire, the willingness, and to give us the power to do it. But listen to 1 Samuel 15, 24-29. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, 
because I fear the people and obey the voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. This is crazy. David killed Uriah and he took his wife. And yet, when Nathan came for him, he said, your iniquity has been forgiven you. Why not forgive so? That's crazy to me. But we know it's the telling of the gospel. Verse 26. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the age of his robe and he tore. So Samuel said to him, You are preaching. <laughs> the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. God is not going to change his mind. So the kingdom has been removed from you. And so the kingdom is now officially taken from Saul as far as God is concerned and has been given to a neighbor of his who is apparently better than him, the neighbor who is the man after God's own heart, David. The reason why David is a man after God's own heart is because he is a type of Christ. David is a type of Christ, and so God loves David because in David he is preaching his son. So that testimony of that neighbor that is after God's own heart is a testimony of God over his son, Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is the testimony. And so the Lord instructs for Samuel to go and anoint David the eighth son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. The eighth son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Jesse lived in Bethlehem, the seed of David. First Samuel 16:11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Jesse had eight boys. Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the ship. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So Jesse had brought the other seven sons, and God had rejected every one of them and says, well, not them. I don't look at men as men do. I look at their heart, not their appearance. And the one that I want is David. But when David has come, he has to do his apprenticeship. He has to do his apprenticeship with Saul. And for that to happen, God causes a spiritual distress by sending Saul an evil spirit. Now that's sovereignty again because a lot of people don't know that. And this is what tells you that the Bible is the word of God. Because if these guys were about protecting God's character, they would have said, and the devil sent him an evil spirit. But they say, no, it's God who sent the evil spirit. And they don't apologize for it. And they don't try to cover it up. 
They just say it. They don't see anything that is wrong with God doing that. So I would say those who argue with that have a God problem. They don't really know who God is. So God gave Saul a spiritual distress that needed some good music to be played so as to ease his mind. Brother Robert, you could be also up for a job to play some good music to King Saul. So God used an evil spirit to cause distress on Saul that he may introduce David to his people. David had to be introduced in the context of distress. David could not be known to the people outside the context of distress on Saul. Christ could not be known to his people outside the context of sin. So God caused a spiritual sickness to someone so that he would get David employed. God is causing sickness on someone that you may find a job. That's sovereignty. That's the God of the Bible. That is absolute sovereignty. And so they sought for a harpist. Obviously, there were a lot of dudes who were playing this instrument. But listen to 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the ship. So when the harpist is called to his ministry, guess what he was doing? He was already heading his father's ship, not Saul's ship. So when this Jesus, the greater son of David, was called to the ministry, he was already heading his father's ship. Jesus did not begin to head his ship when he went on the cross. He was always heading his father's ship. And that is why he did not die before you came to know him. He was always. Right from when the ship was given to him by the father, he was always heading them. But hear this also about the Lord Jesus from John 7, 15. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters having never studied? How does Jesus know all these things having not gone to Harvard? Jesus, you don't have a degree. You did not go to school. You did not go to the rabbinical schools. Why? Because he spoke not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one who had authority, one who had gracious words, as one who was prudent in speech, like David. And so Saul is impressed with David, and David is promoted to be the armor bearer of Saul. David plays some soul-soothing music, good music, that removes the madness of Saul. And only this one, who is the good shepherd of the sheep, plays such music such as to soothe the souls of sinners and to bring them peace. See what David is doing. He is playing his music to bring peace. 
And that, my friends, is the music that Jesus plays to us all who were demon-possessed and were in spiritual distress because of sin. The music that Christ plays brings peace to troubled and distressed hearts. And so he said in John 14, 27, Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid like what was happening to Saul. Saul's heart was troubled. He was afraid. He knew he was losing the kingdom. And then, to add to that, he had the distress of the evil spirit. But Israel is in battle again with the Philistines and young and lowly David comes and this time they face Goliath. Goliath was the champion, they called him. He was big, fearful, and very strong like Charlie. Where's Charlie? And one had to be out of their mind to try and attack him. And so everyone tried to dissuade David from going and fighting him. But hear this in 1 Samuel 17, 31 to 37. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. And the words that David had spoken was, he was going to go and challenge Goliath. And his brothers were like, are you out of your mind? You go back home and head the ship. You're a little boy. <laughs> Listen to verse 32. Then David sent to Saul. So they had sent him back to Saul for Saul to say, no, you can't do that. You are risking your life. You're going to get killed. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man from his youth. I think there are some ebonics in this writing. And he a man of war from his youth. Just saying, that's what I thought. <laughs> but David said to Saul, verse 34, your servant used to keep his father's ship. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord will be with you. So David goes and he encounters Goliath, the biggest and undefeated enemy of God's people. And this enemy is going to be struck down by the hands of David. With a sling and a stone. First Samuel 17, 48 to 50. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. 
Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. No sword. And the big Philistine is dead. David has some real piercing bullet in the form of a stone. (laughs) As the lions and the bears that were struck with David's hands before him, Goliath would also be struck by the same outstretched hands of this one who is the shepherd king. This is the cross, my friends. See that David refused to wear armor that was provided by Saul. There was no sword in the hands of Christ when he slew the uncircumcision of sin, the Philistines, the enemies of God and God's people, sin, death, the devil, and condemnation. 1 Samuel 18 verse 7. After the Philistine had been taken down, then the choir began to sing. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That is adding salt to injury. That does not sound very right. That's not being nice. And so Saul hears this and is not pleased and he knows David is the man whom God has raised to depose him from power and now he is desperately seeking for an opportunity to have David killed. Saul wants David to be killed in battle and so he promoted him to be captain of his army. Be careful when you get promoted. Saul goes a step further and wants to draw David closer by offering him to marry one of his daughters. But the Lord was with David and he prospered him and David became highly esteemed among the people and that got Saul even more afraid. And that is what happens when people want to destroy that which the Lord is building. Everything that tries to raise itself against what God is building is actually going to be used as material to build. (laughs) So Saul is determined even more with everything that he has to put David to death. And so he plots a political assassination of David. Saul is obsessed with David and Saul is hot on David's heels and David is in flight mode. But David was not much in fear of Saul. Yes, as a young man, he was afraid of Saul, but he was not afraid of Saul. David had just taken down Goliath. David has taken down bears and lions. And David had many opportunities to kill the king, but he did not. David could have killed very easily Saul, but he was respecting the office that Saul occupied. 
and this was Jesus Christ. In spite of the many enemies that he had who tried to take him down, they could not lay his hands on him as to kill him. They tried. Every time he was just slippery out of their hands. Why? Because his time was not yet. And there was no man who could take his life away from him. He said this in John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. And now that takes us to our text. And we are mostly going to work the first three verses and then the last verse. So 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 to 2 says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house had it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. David is on the run fleeing from Saul and he finds himself in Gath. Now Gath was a Gentile territory. It was one of the cities of the Philistines. This is where David slew Goliath. But from there he departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And there are many things that people say about that cave some say there were multiple caves but others say it was just one but whatever they were this cave was so big and was known to David and his men and Adullam was in Judah was in the territory of Judah and so when his brothers and all his father's house had that he had escaped to that cave they went down there to him and to hide in the cave with him. And these are they who went to him of his brothers and his father's house. Listen to verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. And it is these who are spoken of in Hebrews 11, 38, that says, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. The cave of David was the shelter and refuge of all his brothers and all those of his father's house. What was the cave? The cave was a type of Christ. The cave was a type of Christ and David was a type of Christ. Not only that, all those who ran to this cave ran and were hiding in David. They were not only hiding in the cave, they were also hiding under the banner of David who had become their captain. So the cave is a type of Christ. We shall develop that a little bit more. 
and David is a type of Christ, and God's people run to the cave, they run to David to seek refuge. Psalm 64.10 The righteous man will be glad in the Lord and will take refuge in him. And all the upright in heart will glory. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The righteous run to it and are safe. So the ones who run to Christ are the righteous. They are righteous because they run to Christ. Why? Because their confidence is in Christ. So if you want to know that a man is righteous, ask them whose cave they've run to. What is their place of refuge? Are they with David in the cave or not? But who are these who went in with David? Listen to this. Who are these people? Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. This is what is happening in Israel at this time. There is uncertainty in Israel because Saul and his people know that God is about to change the leadership. So there's distress that has been brought about even to the brothers of David and the family of David also because of the constant warring with the Philistines. Distress over the rule of Saul. Distress over life itself, broken, failed promises like anybody in our time. Because distress is the human condition. People, as long as they are sinners, they are always going to be distressed by something. But not only that. There were many who were in debt. Wall Street had tanked. The economy was bad. They were in debt and could not repay. And these also, they did not go to the bankruptcy court. They instead sought salvation in Dave's cave. In Christ's grave. That they may be buried with him and have their deaths paid off and forgiven and forgotten. And so this shepherd king, Jesus Christ would come and say, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. Those who were in debt, who ran into the cave with him. These are the poor. They can't pay for themselves. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The ones who have had broken promises. The ones who are distressed in spirit. These who are discontented. And to do what? To proclaim liberty. To proclaim salvation to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed by Saul. <laughs> those who were in debt and could not pay needed to hear the news of liberty. These who were captives to sin, they wanted to hear the gospel of salvation. These who were oppressed by the law and its judgment need to hear the gospel. 
Because all those who ran to the cave, they had some condition in them and it wasn't positive. Everyone was discontented. Everyone had some issue of not being able to pay their own debt. So the qualifications of those who went into the cave was negative. There was nothing good to be said about them. None had anything going on for them. And so they came to seek refuge with and under David. Why? Because they knew God was with him. And we come to Christ because we know that God is with him. And God is with us. Emmanuel. They knew God would be with him and with them. They knew David was going to come out of the cave victorious. His kingdom had to be established. And surely, once David left the cave, he was crowned king of Israel. And in the cave, David became their commander, the captain of their salvation, who had been perfected by sufferings. Even though David was the man after God's own heart, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. In the cave, David had Abiathar, the priest. He had God, the prophet, and himself as king. And so we see the three offices of Christ represented in the cave. Christ is prophet, king, and priest. And all these are represented in the cave. But David appointed himself captain over all his people, over all those who ran to be in the cave with him. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verse 10 to 17. The writer of Hebrews says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. David has made himself captain over his people, and he is being perfected through sufferings, the afflictions, and persecution from Saul. Verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And when his brothers and all of his father's house had it, they went down there to him. These were David's brethren, and all of them, not some of them, all of them, all from his father's house, they went where David was, and David was not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare, first of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Did David not declare his name to his brethren, who ran to him in the cave? These are the brethren of David. In verse 18, and again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Those that were with David in the cave are the children that God had given him. Verse 14 and 15, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise 
shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ, by his death, destroyed him who had the power of death and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Those who ran to David, they ran because of fear of death. They were set free by the type of death that happened in the cave. David released those who were in fear of dying because of Saul. We shall talk more about the cave in a little while. Verse 16 and 17 for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Let's talk more about the cave. The cave was a type of Christ and was also a type of the grave of Christ. Because it's a vessel, it's a container, it's the same as the ark of Noah. It's the same as the belly of the ship, the belly of the fish that carried Jonah. Jonah was a type of Christ. The belly of the fish was also a type of the grave of Christ. And a type of Christ also. Because it contained safely those who were in it. Jonah. So the cave was a type of the grave of Christ. Who was our place of refuge. Even our city of refuge. Why? We went into the grave with him. Which means we died with him. And we were buried with him. And we Rose with him. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 11. Apostle Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were immersed into the cave with David. That is union with David. That is the union with Christ. So the one who entered into the cave also experienced everything that David experienced. And here is a picture of the death of Christ. So when Christ goes into the grave, he does not go by himself. He goes with his people. And his people are safe in him in the grave and outside the grave. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Those who were in the cave with David rose to a newness of life. The newness of the reign of David as the new king of Israel a type of the resurrected Christ, the eschatological David, who is now 
clothed with all power and glory. Those who went into the cave, they were in debt. They were discontented with the rule. They were not happy. But when they came out of the cave, guess what? David becomes king and all these things are taken care of. Their debt has been forgiven. They have risen to the newness of life under the new and glorious king. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. So you see, going into the cave was the likeness of Dying with Christ. United together in the likeness of his death in the cave. And being buried with him. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Resurrection is victory. And and those who went into the cave with David. Were united in the likeness of his death. But not only that also in the likeness of his resurrection and power over all his enemies. And so when Christ rose, we also were resurrected with victory over all the enemies that were chasing us, the enemies that chased us into the cave. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The deaths of those who went into the cave with David were cancelled. They were removed from them by their union with David in the cave. So that when they got out, they were dead free. They were saved. They were now servants of King David. No longer slaves of sin. No longer slaves of Saul. Because remember, when God said, or you want a king, but let me tell you what, what the king is going to do to you. He's going to enslave you. And these now who have come out of the cave with David are no longer slaves to Saul. And so that was a picture of the gospel to say the ones who entered into the grave with Christ have also resurrected with him in the newness of life. They are no longer slaves of sin. So we too had debts that we could not pay. And these debts were removed by our entering into the cave with David, the grave of Christ. Verse 7 and 8, verse 7 to 11. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Those who went into the cave with David they also lived with David. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're reading these things, once you get on the gospel trail, there's just so many things to see. Those who went into the cave with David were numbered. 400. And that's particular redemption. It is not all Israel or all Judah who went into the cave with David. 
the cave was sufficient for those that were supposed to go in there. These were numbered. These are the elect that were in Christ. And it is these that he died to redeem on the cross. Jesus did not die to make salvation possible for all of Israel. David did not go into the grave in this context with all of Israel, but the ones who were his brothers, his brethren. And see this, there's none who came seeking refuge with David who was rejected by him. David did not say, oh, you go away. You used to have these loyalties to Saul. No, he took all of them in. So there's none who will come to Christ that will be cast out. He said in John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So all those that the Father gave to Christ will come to him. Just as those 400 who came to David, they were given to him. So the question that we have to ask is, whose cave are we hiding in? It's a very simple question, very important question. Because a lot of people have made their own caves. And it is our own natural tendency to make our own caves. Are we in the cave with David or with Saul who is seeking to destroy David? If you have some unpaid debt to the law of God, you have to be found in the cave with David. If you have unpaid debt, and if you are under distress, and if you are discontented, and you do not go to the cave with David, you cannot come out of that cave to the newness of life. So the work of salvation was performed by Christ on the cross. His death and resurrection. This is all where the work of Christ was performed. So the Ones who went with Christ on the cross are they who in time are called to that knowledge by the Holy Spirit. And as long as a man does not feel the burden of their debt and guilt to God, they cannot come to Christ. Very important. The work of the Holy Spirit in conviction, regeneration and conviction, is to show you that you are in debt. It is to show you that you are discontented. It is to cause distress to you that you may flee to Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if the Holy Spirit does not do that, you are going to think, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay with Saul. I'm okay with the Philistines. You're okay with everybody. But until the Holy Spirit comes and shows you that you need to run and hide with David, you are not coming to Christ. And so the text will say in Romans 5, For whilst we were still sinners at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so if our hope is not in our going into the cave with David, then we have no other true hope. The true gospel 
takes us into the cave with David and we bring nothing with us to that cave. See again the qualifications, what the people brought. They were discontented. They were sinful. They were unrighteous. They were bankrupt people. They were people with no righteousness of their own. That's the point. God had already sent them to collections. No righteousness. So unless someone comes to the point that they realize that they don't have enough righteousness, they can't come to Christ. And so the purpose of regeneration and the work of the Holy Spirit is to show you that you're bankrupt. God has already sent you to collections and unless you come and seek refuge in Christ, you are tossed. So we were as sinners in debt to God's law and could not make atonement of our sins by ourselves. But we were redeemed in the death and resurrection of Christ in the cave of David. Now listen to this. And to all those who are in distress, who are discontented and in debt, the Lord says, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Christ. Believe his gospel of free and sovereign grace. That is the only way your heavy burden is going to be made light. That is the only way your heavy burden is going to be made light. Come to the cave where David is and he will give you rest from your enemies. But listen to this. When David left the cave some time afterwards, he would rise and become the king of Israel. And so the leaving of the cave was a type of the resurrection of the Lord who afterwards would be seated on the right hand of power and receive the name that is above all names that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But to all who have run to be in the cave with David, he said, verse 23 of 1 Samuel 22, Stay with me. Do not fear. Stay with me. Do not fear. Stay with Christ and do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And that is the promise of the gospel that if you stay with Christ, all the enemies who sought Christ's life, they also were seeking your life. But he said, stay with me. If you stay with me, that's a word of assurance from him that you shall be safe. You have to stay with David to remain safe. And that is not a suggestion. David was not suggesting that to them. That was a serious word from the Lord. If you go away and start seeking out other caves, you may meet with those who are seeking after your life. You meet with Saul and he will slay you. So stay in the cave with David and David would come and say in John 15, 4 and 5, 
this greater son of David would say, Abide in me. And I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, unless you remain in me, stay with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And the same one would say to that effect, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And that is the fulfillment of the statement, but with me you shall be safe. Christ will keep you, is going to keep you. He has been heading his ship right from the beginning. When he was called, he was already out in the fields heading his ship. And now he comes, he takes his ship, his people now with him into the grave and he keeps them safe and he takes them out with him and he rises to the right hand of power and he still has his people. And that's the glory of the gospel. And that's the story of hiding in the cave with the king. Praise the Lord. I'm done.